Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Okay, today we have Stacy Dennison with us. Stacy has been around death all of her life. Growing up the daughter of a funeral director and having a large extended family, funerals have always been a part of her life. When she was in college, two of her cousins whom she was close to were killed in a car accident. But it wasn't until her older brother passed away unexpectedly at the age of 40 that she truly had a wake-up call to live life to the fullest. After working in the Public Relations Bureau of a large law enforcement agency for 11 years, Stacy decided to take a leap of faith and leave that job to start living life more purposefully. She traveled, checked off a few items on her brother's bucket list, and tried out a few different career choices. She now owns and runs two businesses. Edgewater Creative is a photography and video production business, and Hello Doggy is a pet care business offering pet sitting, dog walking, and art and gifts for pet lovers. She is also the community outreach coordinator for the House of Mercy and Encouragement, a local nonprofit offering mental health services for children and families. She is the president of the Bay Area Young Professionals, serves on the board of directors for the Chamber of Commerce, the Dunedin Chamber of Commerce, and is a member of the Kiwanis Club of Dunedin. Stacy also co-hosts and produces videos for local for a local tourism podcast called Meet Us on Main Street. She lives her life always trying to follow her family motto, Adversa Virtute Rupello, courage through adversity. I hope I said that right. You did. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Awesome. That's a great bio. And it's a little exhausting with all the things that you are involved in. You are very active, which is awesome. (laughs) It's a little exhausting doing them. (laughs) Welcome, Stacy. Thank you. Stacy's another local chick here in Dunedin. And uh, we don't have to look far for badass women who have overcome adversity. So Stacy, thanks so much for being with us today. I have a quote that we read to all of our podcast guests. It's written by Brene Brown, and it goes like this. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. So thanks for being that survival guide for some of us out here, Stacy. I love that quote, and thank you for having me on. I have to say that you know, early on when you started the podcast and I talked to Kara about it and I kind of just, you know, briefly told her my story and, and said, eh, if you ever need anyone, just knowing that, you know, with a podcast, sometimes you need guests and everything and, you know, to make life a little easier. And then I listened to your podcast and I was blown away by all the badass women that you've had on. And I was just, to be honest, 
nervous (laughs) (laughs) and like, am I worthy? Because you've had some really awesome, amazing women on here. And you are worthy. And I think that we care, right? We hear that from women all the time, don't we? Yes, we've heard it from almost every guest who's been on who they're like, you really want to hear my story? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we go through life and we we think life hands us a lot of stuff. And some of us take that stuff and make really awesome things out of it. And some of us don't. We get stuck in the stuff. And so we don't want people stuck in the stuff, Stacey. Yeah. And your story is hugely beneficial. I mean, just reading, you know, losing two cousins to a tragic accident at age 40, right? They were 40? They were in their early 20s. They were... 21 and 22 when they passed. It was your brother who was 40 when he passed? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's way young. And then I just want to ask you, like, we, Kara and I were talking about death and our first experiences going to a funeral and what that was like for us. We didn't grow up in a home where death was everywhere. And Kara, you looked like you wanted to make a comment and I kind of was talking no, 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 no. I think you you covered it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. But, you, you know, you grew up in a home where death, it sounds like, it seems like might have been a more normal conversation or just presented as a normal part of life. Can you just share that with us? Like, what was that like? What was your first knowledge of learning what death was? And then what did death mean to you as a little kid? Yeah. So I, I mean, it's just always been part of my life. I can't remember the first funeral that I've ever even attended. It's just always been there. So my father is a funeral director and he owned three funeral homes Well, he still does, technically. And I grew up across the street from the main one. So I wasn't directly, it wasn't like the movie, My was it My Girl with? Oh, wow. The girl that lives in the funeral home. It has Dan Aykroyd as the dad. That's taken me back. I can't remember that. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't exactly like My Girl where there's, you know, an embalming room in the basement. (laughs) It wasn't quite like that. But it was an actual funeral home with an apartment above it, which my dad lived in. My parents were divorced. Uh, They've been divorced since I was two years old. So he lived above the funeral home. And my mom and I lived across the street from the funeral home. So even though they were divorced, we lived very close to each other. And it was an informal custody arrangement where I would just go over to see my dad whenever I wanted to. And, you know, he would be putting you know, preparing for a a viewing or a funeral and, you know, putting the finishing touches for lack of a better phrase on the body, you know, fixing the, you know, accessories or uh, doing the makeup. And, you know, it was just a normal part of life. It was, you know, if I had to talk to my dad about something, I would go in and talk to him while he was doing that. And I remember a boyfriend of mine in high school that I had to go in to like ask my dad something. And I said, oh, you know, he's just getting ready for a viewing. Like, just come in with me. And he's like, no, I'll stay out here. And I'm like, no, no, it's it's fine. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. And he's just like, no, I, I won't go in there while he's doing that. And I think that was kind of one of the first times that I was like, oh, is this weird to other people? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was just um, it was just a regular thing for me. It was you know, it's hard to describe. I mean, do you remember how it was presented to you? Like how it was explained to you what your father did? Do you remember a discussion? 
Mm, I don't recall there ever being a discussion about it. No. Okay. It was just, I understood that he did what he did. And I'm trying to even think of the earliest funeral that I would have gone to. But, you know, it was at a very young age because I had a very large extended family. My mom grew up with, I think she's 12 aunts and uncles. And then, you know, each of my parents came from a lot of siblings. My mom had six in her family. My dad had seven. So it was just, you know, we had a lot of family members. And of course, you know, at that time, they were all older when they passed, you know, fortunately, but um, it wasn't until I got a little older that the younger ones that I experienced that tragedy. But yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, going, going to a funeral for, you know, aunt so-and-so or uncle this or that, you know. But yeah, my parents never sat me down to say like, this is what death is. This is what a funeral is. It was just kind of like a learn by being there. So Stacy, like seeing a dead body, do you remember, was that ever uncomfortable for you? It, I would imagine if I was going to see my dad to talk to him about my homework and there was a dead body that he was putting makeup on, it might impress me somehow. <laughs> But it sounds like it was just kind of something like he grew up with and it was just a normal part of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. I mean, to me, it was as normal as if I had a parent that was maybe a hairstylist and walking in while they were cutting someone's hair. Right. It was just, you know, that's what it was. And I mean, other, of course, like other kids in school would make comments about it or whatever. But to me, it was like normal. No big deal. Mm -hmm. How old were you when your cousins passed? And that's, that's the, their mom is the woman who started the House of Mercy who just passed as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. I'm sorry for your loss, Stacey. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it was her, her son and her nephew, uh, my two cousins, and uh, they were cousins as well. And I was, let's see, I was 20, or I'm sorry, I was 21. I had just turned 21, and they were 21 and 22. Wow. And um, yeah, that was that was the first, I would say, real traumatic thing that I experienced with death, where it was someone that, well, two people that I was very close to, and I grew up with, and, you know, we were so close in age, and it just how it happened so suddenly. And that, you know, so yeah, being close to their age, did, do you remember that hitting home? Like, holy cow, that could be me or that, you know, like my life, it sounds like from your bio that it didn't really hit you that, hey, life is here for us living to live it. And we better go live it to the fullest. It sounds like it took a little more time for you to have that hit you in your face. Yeah, it was like, you know, obviously, I knew younger people could pass and everything and did. And, you know, whenever my dad had a younger person that, you know, their family came to him for their funeral, he would kind of, especially if it were a car accident or something, he would kind of have, you know, just a little talk with me and just say, you know, be careful, kind of like, if they died of a drug overdose, like, you know, just again, reinforcing like the dangers of doing drugs, like don't do drugs, because, you know, I just buried a kid that was your age that had a drug overdose, or, you know, I just buried a kid that died in a car accident. So don't try to pass, you know, someone in a one lane road, or, you know, that sort of thing. 
So it's like, yeah, I, I obviously knew like people die at all ages, but of course, you know, when you're that age, you also kind of think you're invincible, even when you hear stories like that. And it was just so shocking to me and my family when people that we were so close to, you know, that I grew up with and were suddenly killed in a car accident like that. And it really made me look at it like, wow, they were just driving home from a normal night out. And, you know, that could that could happen to me. So I think that's a little bit when I started to be like, okay, like life is fragile, but it wasn't really until then it hit home again with my brother when he passed suddenly at the age of 40 that I was like, yeah, life really is fragile. And, you know, I I think at that point I was at an age when he passed, which I was 33 at the time. I had just turned 33 a few days prior. And I was like, okay, it's time to start doing what I actually want to do in life. And that was my real wake up call. So that was 12 years later after your cousins passed. And then so you were working for this big agency, this law enforcement agency at the time, which what you're doing now is completely different. (laughs) And, uh, And so, so not what that sounds like. So tell me about your brother and how he inspired you to go live his life, some of his bucket list things. It sounds like you guys must have been super close. What What's his name? Yeah, so um, his name was Rich and he was seven years older than me. And, you know, when I grew up, I had him as my older brother and I have an older sister as well. And I always looked up to him. He was always the life of the party, just very charismatic, um, very funny. I have a lot of his humor. So like we would, I mean, our favorite thing to do would just be to watch stupid movies and just like, like constantly say lines from them and reference them. And one of his favorite movies was Step Brothers. <laughs> so we would always quote that to each other. And every year I watched that on his birthday, just as a in remembrance of him thing that I do a little tradition. That's fun. That is fun. He was just, he was a fun person to be around and everyone loved him. Um, he was class clown in high school. Um, <laughs> He was good looking. The ladies loved him. (laughs) And he also was very aspirational as well. He was running for Congress when he passed. Oh, wow. Yeah. What state? New Jersey. Okay. So yeah, he was always into politics ever since he was a little kid. He used to dress in a little like suit and tie to go to school with a briefcase when he was five (laughs) years old. (laughs) And, you know, like everyone joked and called him Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he um, he was an attorney as well. And he interned at the White House for President Clinton when he was in um, college. Wow. So, yeah, he was very successful growing up. And it was kind of like, you know, that's one of the reasons he was my role model but also a lot to live up to at the same time, you know, but he loved traveling and he did a semester abroad in Italy and me and my sister went over and visited him. So it was, you know, he was just always so fun and took us around traveling and it just amazing. So 
the whole thing with like completing his bucket list items, or at least some of them, it's kind of my way to remember him and honor him with that. And um, some of the things on there were like, visit England at Christmas time, like in love, actually. (laughs) That's such a great movie. Yeah. So I checked that one off. We did that. We went to Ireland. That was a big dream of his. He used to say, let's go like to me all the time. He would say, let's go fly to Ireland. Let's do a trip. Like I'll pay for it with my airline points. And we never got to do it. So that was one of the things that I did after he passed. That was a priority that I made. I was like, all right, I'm going to Ireland and went there. He wanted to kiss the Blarney Stone. So I did that. And which is terrifying, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) hanging backward and yeah, and upside down. So yeah, so those are just a couple of the things on his bucket list that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for you and check them off. That's awesome. He sounds like a great guy, Stacey. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like he was a good older brother. Like it didn't sound like I mean, maybe he picked on you and stuff, but sometimes older brothers, especially a seven-year difference, have one have nothing to do with with their younger, their baby sister. Yeah, he was good at looking out for me. And, you know, even when I was in elementary school, he used to like to tell me the story about when he was in, I think, eighth grade and I was in first grade and we went to a Catholic school. So it was a K through eight, you know, we were all at the same school. And he said that like one time he got into a stupid fist fight with another kid in his grade who had like a sibling in my grade about whose sibling was cuter. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. Yeah. So he he always looked out for me. Do you think that was a real story, (laughs) Stacey? He did like to embellish things, (laughs) but... I think maybe there was a little truth to it, but a lot of embellishment. That's so great. He just wanted you to know how special you are to him. (laughs) Yes. Stacey, how long has Rich been gone? When when was his angel birth? It was five years uh, this January. And do you want to share how he passed? Yeah. So he uh, laid down for a nap. Um, He was living with my dad at the time and he laid down for a nap. He told him he wasn't feeling well and he was going to go lay down. And um, a couple hours later, my dad went in to check on him, you know, to say like, I'm going to order food for dinner. What do you want? And my dad found him, passed away in his bed. And it turns out that he had a gastrointestinal hemorrhage and um, he also had cardiomyopathy they discovered as well, which is an enlarged heart. So from our understanding, it was just kind of a combination of the two. Wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So gastrointestinal hemorrhage just means blood, was it blood clot or a a bursted blood vessel, but in the, the stomach or esophagus area? Okay. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. And your dad, I'm I'm just imagining like here you are a funeral director and it's every parent's nightmare that he's living. It, how did your dad and, and mom handle that situation? Was was your dad able to be the funeral director for his son? So when he passed and my dad discovered him, 
he called my mom right away and my mom was actually down here visiting. So my husband and I had flown to Colorado for a birthday trip for me because my birthday was or is January 18th. And my brother passed on January 22nd. He and I were flying home from Colorado on the 22nd when my brother passed. And like we were on the plane when he actually passed. And when we got home is when we found out. And so my mom was here watching our dogs um, because she used to fly down when we would go on a big trip and watch our dogs for us. And so she said that my dad called her and uh, was like, I, you know, I think Richie's dead. And she's like, what do you mean you think? Like, you know, he's a funeral director. He knows death. Like, it was just more of a like, I think he was afraid of it being true. And, you know, she was like, call 911. And and so then he he called 911. And he also called my sister who was at my mom's house at the time and um, told her what was happening. And my sister who had been a CNA, so she had first aid and CPR training, uh, came running across to my dad's and tried performing CPR on my brother, but it was too late. So, um, you know, it when I think about it, my heart breaks for both of them for being the ones to see him in that state. And, you know, for my sister who was closer to my brother, you know, less than two years age difference performing CPR on him. Gosh, that just sent chills through my body. Stacy. I'm sorry. Terrible thing to have to deal with. It sounds like your brother's spirit though, and his love for life and his zest for joy and happiness and laughter is what won in the story. Like his legacy of that is living on, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I feel him with me sometimes. And and for many months after he passed, I would just hear randomly like a Frank Sinatra song. And he loved, loved, loved Frank Sinatra. And we actually played... Frank Sinatra's greatest hits on a CD player at his viewing on loop because we knew he would want that. And I actually, to be honest, I think he actually put that in his um, funeral instructions because (laughs) being a son of a funeral director, he was prepared for his own death. (laughs) Of course. So, yes. So he had written down just kind of like an in case of my death type thing that we used as his final wishes for planning the funeral. And so I would for many months hear a random Frank Sinatra song. And even if nowadays, you know, if I hear it, I think that's him sending me a signal. Oh, I like that. Yeah. How else does he send you signals, Stacy? Yeah. So that's the main one. Yeah. I, Sometimes also, this is going to sound a little crazy. Good. I want crazy. It's good. (laughs) I love this. Sometimes like if I like, I'll feel almost like a, like a cold patch, I guess, but like kind of like where you would get a hug. Like, you know, if someone were to like wrap their arms around you and um, once in a while, I'll get a sensation like that, that will make me think of him too. And it's like, I'll, oh. when it happens, I instantly think of him. So that's why it's kind of like, I always think that it's him because that's just where my mind goes when I, so I feel like it's a, a message every time. I love that. 
That's awesome. And the, you know, they, they say too that, and I don't, I don't often see cardinal, cardinals, but a lot of times people have told me that when you see a cardinal, that's someone who's passed that's visiting you. I saw one the other day outside my window and I just sat there and talked to it. I don't know who it was. But <laughs> <laughs> I sat there and talked to it. I'm like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> but that's just how weird I am. <laughs> before we before we started recording, Stacy, you made a comment about being, you know, the daughter of a funeral director and having, you know, a whole family involved in this or having or being very familiar with funerals, et cetera. And you would think, you know, going through this for your own family that you guys would all be buttoned up and put together. And that wasn't necessarily the the case. Do you want to talk a a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really, really difficult. You know, the fact that it was so unexpected and that, you know, my brother was larger than life and then to have him just be gone. And he was also, you know, kind of like the one that kept our family together, where he kind of would be the one that everyone would listen to. And, you know, if someone was acting this way or someone was acting this way, if he said something, it would kind of all tie us together. So for him to be the one that we lost, it was chaos. You know, my brother was a bachelor when he died. So he didn't have a significant other to make arrangements or anything. It was entirely left up to my parents and my sister and I. And my dad was just a wreck for the first two days after he passed. I mean, I'd never seen my dad that unglued before. He was sobbing for two days straight, like, like, like racking sobs. And um, I mean, it, it was really difficult to see. And he, it was hard to talk to him. You know, he just was not in the state to be able to plan anything. We also had to wait for the autopsy to go through to see what he passed of because we had no idea at first. And so through that time, um, it was kind of like a weird wait and see. And then we had discovered this, you know, paper that my brother wrote his final wishes on. And <laughs> so we kind of used that as a as a guide. But it was a lot of sitting together as a family and going through what we thought he would want and what my dad, once he stopped sobbing, wanted for his son because he wanted the best that, you know, he's ever sold <laughs> before for funerals. So, you know, he's like, well, you know, it's going to be top of the line. And, you know, so we went through all of that and it was, but it was very difficult because, you know, when it's a close family member, funeral directors don't usually, they don't prepare the body. They don't, you know, they aren't the funeral director in charge. So luckily my godfather is a funeral director and he stepped in and uh, was the funeral director in charge so that my dad could grieve and not be the one taking care of all the administrative tasks. But it was, it was really difficult because for one, um, like I mentioned, my brother was running for Congress at the time. So we had to be careful about, you know, what we wanted to release as a statement to the press. And that was 
my job, which actually my background in public relations came in handy for that. But it was it was just a very weird few days after he passed where we were just kind of walking around in this fog. And, you know, it I joked at one point that it felt like like in the Kennedy compound, like we were in the Kennedy compound because, you know, when like like JFK Jr. disappeared or something, because we're like trying to both grieve and put together this like formal statement that's going to be published in the paper. And, you know, then the newspaper wanted to write a story about my brother and they're asking me for quotes and this and that. So we were dealing with that in addition to planning his services. And it led to, you know, a lot of disagreements between our family members. And, you know, my, I remember my dad particularly getting into an argument with my godfather about something so silly, like whether the pallbearers should wear gloves or not. And it's something that no normal family would ever argue, you know, (laughs) but it was just like, you know, being in the business, my dad was like, they need to wear gloves. And it, it was just so stupid. (laughs) To be honest, but it was, yeah, it was a very unique situation dealing with things so closely like that. I can imagine. He just wanted things to be perfect for your brother. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things my brother had said was that he wanted an Irish bagpiper, which is unusual. It's more common to have a Scottish bagpiper, as you guys know, (laughs) being in Dunedin. And so I'm just like trying to call around finding an Irish bagpiper, but apparently Irish bagpipes can only be played in certain weather and it was like snowy and cold. So then they really, yeah. wow, there are stipulations with that. I did not know that. Oh, yes. And so then it was like, you know, we were like, you know, Richie, I hope it's okay. We have <laughs> Scottish bagpipes, you know, <laughs> so we uh so we ended up going with the Scottish bagpiper and then like my dad wanted this dove release at the at the cemetery so it was looking back now I can kind of laugh that everything was a little like over the top <laughs> but you know I think it also fit Richie's personality with the larger than life you know <laughs> oh, yeah I guess that's true, right? You described him as the center of attention, life of the party. So having Dove release, a Dove release sounds like that for him. Yes. Either that or a, or a 21 gun salute. You're right. <laughs> I don't think you can have both though, because you'll scare the birds. Yeah. <laughs> Turn into a bit of a mess. <laughs> oh, and Stacey, when did it hit you? That you said, you know what, I'm not living my life for me. I'm whatever, what, like, what was it that entered you? Like, when did it hit you? And what did you hear that made you change your life? The day that changed your life or turned your life around? Yeah. So basically, you know, it was building up. So, you know, I had been at the agency for 11 years and I was getting kind of burnout. And it was to the point where, you know, I was getting so stressed out about going to work where I would wake up in the middle of the night and throw up from nerves of having to go back into work the next day. You know, I would have to drive like 30 minutes to and from work in traffic. And it was just like a whole ordeal just getting to work. Most weeks I would work a lot of overtime. I would work a lot of Saturdays. So I would maybe have Sunday off, but maybe not. And 
oftentimes I worked a second job as well. So sometimes I just didn't have any time off, but it was just, it was a lot of stress and that ended up permeating to, you know, physical health issues as well as emotional where, you know, I would need to stop in the parking garage before walking into work and kind of like gather myself and take deep breaths and give myself a pep talk to go into work, you know, a nine hour day and then, you know, head back home an hour of commuting. And it was just, it was a lot that, you know, I dealt with because people do, that's the American way, right? Where, you know, everyone works full-time jobs and, you know, it's just the way it is. And after my brother passed, they were, I would say, not as compassionate as I had hoped they would be after being there for so long and working so closely with them. And the fact that, you know, I had been on vacation. So I I left for a week's vacation and then he passed the day that I returned and I immediately had to go up to New Jersey for the funeral. And by the time that all took place, that was another two weeks. And I ended up catching the flu from just being up there around a lot of people and everything. So I came home and then I was out sick another few days. And so all in all, I was out of work for about a month and it was a government position. So I had plenty of time, you know, it's always, you never have a shortage of days off that you can take. It's just a matter of, can you take them off? So when I got back, I had a lot of snide remarks being made about, oh, did you have a nice vacation? And, you know, oh, must've been nice to be off work for a month. Holy cow. Wow. And Yeah. And it was just, it was very hard to deal with, especially since I had already been just kind of burnout in general. So it was then that I thought something needs to change. You know, I'm 33. My brother passed at 40. I may only have seven years left on this earth. I may pass at the same age as him. I may have less than that. I may live until I'm 85, but what's the point of living if I'm going to be miserable every day of my life where I'm making myself physically sick. So it was then that I decided to create a plan for myself. And that's when I I had found my brother's bucket list through going through his things. And that's awesome that you found his actual list. That is so great. <laughs> so great. Yeah. And I thought, okay, so he wants to visit England at Christmas time. It's February at this point. That's something that's doable. I'll do that. And then I thought, well, I'll be in England. Ireland's just a short ways away. Might as well check that one off too, you know? And so then it turned into, okay, let me start focusing on this trip. And will I be still working here at the time or will I not? So maybe in about May of that year, so a couple months later, I requested time off for the trip. And they said, because at that this point in time, I think the trip was like about three weeks that I was going to plan for. And again, I still have plenty of time to take off. And they denied my request and said, um, you can take a week off and that's it. And I said, okay. And then I made my exit plan. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I will say part of that exit plan and kind of 
you know, I like to look for signs in the universe and all of that. (laughs) And, um, you know, when I was really like going through this, I got a call from my aunt, um, the one that just passed that ran House of Mercy and Encouragement. And she said, you know, we're getting to the point where you, where our organization needs someone in kind of a public relations role. And, you know, being that you do that, do you think that you would be able to kind of do it as a side gig for us? And I said, well, it's funny that you called at this moment because just today I was thinking about how I need an exit plan from this job. And I think this is my first step. And she said, well, I can't pay you. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, let's be clear. This is a nonprofit. I can't afford to pay you full time. And I said, you know what? That's okay. That's all I need right now. And, you know, at least it was that glimmer of hope that I needed in order for me to be like, okay, it's possible to do something outside of this. And from there, I met Pam at the chamber. And that's how I started working for them as well. And I thought, you know what? I, at this point, I kind of gave myself a pep talk where I was like, you know, I have confidence in myself that I have enough skills to figure it out in life. And, you know, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be on my terms. And that's what I did. I tried different things. And here I am. (laughs) That's awesome. So Stacey, you were the second person I met at the chamber. So I think I met Matt first just by walking in and he gave me your number or had you called me because I wanted to join and you were the membership person at the time. And that was like three and a half years ago. I don't think I've ever met the Stacy who was so stressed out at her job. You are the, the, the person I see is someone who's very lighthearted and kind of rolls with it and just it, you you don't you don't ever seem stressed out. Now I did see you stressed out. You had some stuff going on, a pipe burst in your home or something. And oh, I yes. <laughs> recently <laughs> or a couple months ago. And I saw some stress there warranted, but <laughs> rightfully um, so. Right? Yeah, rightfully <laughs> so. But I had not known that about you. And I am so glad you got the hell out of there. Yeah. But I also understand that I have to make money this is what I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing to make money. And, and I get all this time off and I have all these benefits. I've been there 11 years. You know, the, sometimes the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't, but yeah, your physical health sounds like was suffering. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I talk to people now and I actually met another pet sitter that works at the same agency I did. And she works there full time. And she said to me, you know, I, I wish I could do pet sitting full time, but I just, I don't know how you can afford to live life. <laughs> and I, so I asked her prices and she got, she told me and I said, okay, you're first off, you're not charging enough. Like you need to up your prices. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, secondly, like if you really focus on it and this is what you want to do, you can do it. And she was like, no, no, but you know, I've been there so long and I get benefits and and I'm like, I get it. I really do. So it's, I mean, it's difficult, but I will say that my leaving there prompted another friend of mine that worked there as well. 
to leave about a year after me because he saw that I was doing okay after I left. And it inspired him to be like, you know what? I, I'll be okay too. And he's now a professor and makes more money than he was making working at the jail. And he's very happy. Amazing. So your your life and the way you your bravery is now contagious for others to go live their life. So your, your brother Rich is going to have a ripple effect of people being, you know, happy and joyful and fun and living life the way he kind of did and wanted to. That's very cool. Yeah. And I will say he's inspired me to be more community minded as well, since he was so involved in politics and always thinking about others. And he always kind of rooted for the underdog and tried to help you know, by doing um, like every Thanksgiving, he would buy turkeys for families that didn't have a turkey. And it was just something he did because he just wanted to help people. And, you know, I'm very community service minded as well. And I will never run for a big office because I'm not the politician in the family. But... (laughs) I will serve as president of a young professionals organization and, you know, do that, you know, which I think he would be very proud of. And I try to make a difference with that. And, you know, under my presidency, we've started fundraising for local nonprofits and, you know, doing trail cleanups and do different things in different ways of giving back to the community. So I think that he would be very happy if he were still alive and proud of me. That's awesome. And yes, I agree. I think he would be too. I'm I'm sure he was always proud of that little sister that he would beat up his, you know, classmate because you were cuter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, especially if he loved to share that story with you. He loved you and is (laughs) proud of you. That's so great. Stacey, what would you tell other people who might be feeling stuck in a situation? They don't, they're not, you know, trusting their inner voice, what would you tell them? What would Rich tell them? Yeah. So I would say, you know, go for it, but have a plan, you know, assess your skills and have a competence check for yourself where you list all of your assets. And as I mean, I guess monetary too, I didn't think of it that way. (laughs) But as far as like, what can you do? You know, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And do research on it. Find out, you know, okay, so I have an interest in, for example, oh, I really like reading books. I would love to do that for a living. Or like, I, you know, how do I do that? Look into how to become a publisher or, you know, someone that works for like a literary agency. So, you know, I think so many people become so narrow-minded once they get like settled in their careers where they stop having hopes and dreams. And the thing is like, you can change careers at any age. You know, you don't have to do just one thing. You can do multiple things. You may have to hustle a bit. I mean, you're definitely going to have to hustle at first, but you can do it and just have faith in yourself. It's not like you give up, you give up the work ethic, right? You don't give you didn't give that up. You didn't give the fact that you were willing to put in the time. You just wanted to do it for your purpose, not someone else's purpose. But 
I think what's that saying that um, a business owner will work 80 hours a week for themselves so they don't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you, you have to be a business owner to appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just It's just different. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely. And I will say that I have not for one second, even in my hardest moments over the past four years, I've never once thought, oh man, I wish I had never left. Or, oh man, I wish I were still there. Never, never for one single second have I thought that. And I, like Kara said, I'm so much happier and less stressed now. Good for you. Even with hustling. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's your own, it's your hustle. Yes. Stacey, what advice would you have for someone who's stuck in the grief of losing a loved one? We've had we've interviewed a couple of people, a couple of women who have lost loved ones, and they've all had interesting perspectives, great perspectives about the loss and moving through the loss. Do you have any words of wisdom or can you tell us what helped, you know, get you through? Yeah. So especially because I sadly, I've just gone through it again with my aunt passing. I'm kind of still in it right now myself. Yeah. Um, And it's something that I have to kind of keep telling myself, which my words to myself are, give yourself some grace. So, you know, I, I love working out. Karen knows I'm a Peloton addict. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, but you know, the past few weeks, I haven't done my normal workout routine. I've just kind of, you know, instead of like doing, for example, like weightlifting in addition to things, I've been maybe like going for a walk or like a jog. And then because it's not my normal, I'm like, oh, I feel so badly about that. Or like, oh, I'm eating like garbage. And so I just have to keep reminding myself to give myself some grace and that it'll, your routine will come back. You know, it's hard it's, it's difficult. You get out of your, you lose motivation when people pass to do your day-to-day things. You, you know, you're stuck in a, in a state of grief and you just need to have patience for yourself and, you know, just get through it and everyone gets through it at their own pace. There's no, you know, rushing through. And it's just kind of, you know, with my brother, it was for like, the first two years, it was very often that I would, you know, feel, I would say actually the first three years now that I think back where it was like, you know, I would think of something and be like, oh, I have to text this to Rich or like, I have to, you know, and then I would remember that he's no longer with us and it would bring a whole fresh wave of grief again. So, you know, it's just be patient with yourself. You'll get through it. And just remember the great times that you had with them. And I'm a big believer, like I said, in the traditions of keeping their memory alive. So every year on his birthday, I watch Step Brothers and I have a glass of whiskey because he loved Irish whiskey. And, you know, for my aunt that just passed, she loved uh, Dove Dark Chocolates, the kinds with the little messages. 
So I um, bought a big bag of those and I have them in a candy jar. And I actually gave one out to every family member at her visitation, you know, as a little like a little something special that she appreciated. So I'm a big believer in those. A dove promise. That's sweet. Yeah. Stacy, if you could go back to your dad after your brother passed, what, what would you tell him if you could go back in time now, knowing what you know now? Uh, just tell him I love him and that, you know, we're all there to help because and that we're, we would all get through it as a family together. I know that was a tough question, Stacy. Sorry. Um, it's been so awesome having you here with us tonight and sharing your story of grief and how you turned that into just living your life with purpose and with joy and making sure that these people that are so special in your life that aren't with you anymore, that you carry on their traditions and even live their bucket list, which is really cool. I love that you were able to find your brother's bucket list and make that a real thing. And I'm sure you're taking him with you and he's with you on all of those adventures. So we can find Stacy on Instagram. Stacy, you are known as the Dame of Dunedin. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love it too. It's a nickname that someone gave me once because of my love of Dunedin and it stuck. <laughs> so, and you moved here from New Jersey. So you grew up in New Jersey and you moved to Dunedin, Florida. It sounds like about five years ago. No, I've lived here for 16 years. Okay. 16 years. So you were out of your hometown for quite a while. Thank you for sharing this. I know that unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that lose family way too young and, um, and it's not anything we want to go through. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you ladies for having me on. I'm so happy that I was able to share my story. I still don't know if it's as good as the other ladies, but hopefully <laughs> someone will find help. I think it's a great story. It's great inspiration. We really appreciate you being with us. Hopefully this gives others the light bulb moment of, you know, I'm really unhappy in this particular area of my life. What can I do to make a change? Yeah. Yeah. Have courage. Be brave. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. But I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. God, that was a mess. Okay, hang on. <laughs> Des is going to have fun with the outtakes on this one. Desmond just cut at a good point. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. John Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. You want to go do karate in the garage? Yup.